If you would, <clears throat> take your Bible, look at 1 Thessalonians, look at chapter number 3. If you would, and uh, we're going to read there in just a moment. And just to recap, you know that for the past couple of weeks we have uh, been talking about uh, a church for which people can be grateful or thankful. And we've mentioned it a couple different ways. Uh, a way in which members should and can be thankful for their church. Hopefully we're all striving together uh, to make our church something that people uh, as a whole within our church body are thankful for. I'm thankful for the members of our church and we should be thankful for each other and grateful um, for the way that we build each other up. Uh, none of us are perfect and we've mentioned that. Most of us aren't perfect. Uh, for the rest of us that aren't perfect, we help each other and complete, uh, we complete each other's weaknesses in a way. And that's one of the reasons that Christ has given us to each other. Um, in, not being, in Him not walking here on this earth physically with us, He has given us each other. And we are to love each other, to edify, to build up each other, to provoke one another to love and good works. The verse that we quote often about, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, says that why do we come together? So it's not just saying don't forsake being in the church meetings together. It says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together to provoke one another to love and good works. So he's saying don't forsake being around each other to push and prod each other toward love and toward doing good in your life and in this world. And so we need to be a church that people can be thankful for, not just within our own walls, but within our community. And I gave you the example last week about how uh, there was different people at <clears throat> the viewing and different things that were just co-workers of members of our church. And that's how much of an impact certain members of our church had had in the lives of their co-workers, uh, that when our church suffered a loss in that way, that it was felt even by them as members of the community. Some of them we had touched in, in one way or another, or a uh, pastor had touched in one way <coughs> or another throughout years. And so they were thankful or grateful for some part of this ministry, and that's what we should be striving for. It's a task that God has given us. And where we have been studying, what we've been talking about, specifically through the lens of First Thessalonians. And uh, we walked through a few different things, and we talked about how... Um, Week one. In fact, if you want to go to the next couple, there's one that talks about chapters. There's my lovely picture of Thessalonica and how we all wish we were there right now. Okay, uh, But Paul's gratefulness towards the church is expressed by his prayers of thanksgiving for them. Uh, we mentioned that a lot of times in Paul's writings, he would say, I am Paul, this is what I am to you. And then he would say, I am grateful or thankful that God is doing this in your life. And we said that uh, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, for multiple chapters at a time, he does that with this book of Thessalonians. He doesn't always do that with all the others. It's usually one or two verses. Here, it's two or three chapters. And we're going to see actually in 2 Thessalonians starting next week, he continues to thank God for these things. We said in week one that, uh, we were thank that he was thankful that they were built on faith and hope and love. And then last week he said... We're thankful that you are anchored in God's Word. And this week, we're going to talk about this thought. You see it there, together, that means together in grace. We're going to think about this thought, strengthened, or they were strengthened by each other in their community. And the fact that they lived and uh, were among each other, and they did things together, and they lived their lives together, edifying and pushing themselves 
toward Christ. And we're going to look specifically, we're going to take that, look at verse 9 there, you have it on the board, and you can look at in your Bible, and then we're going to go back and read the bulk of the chapter. But this is where we get this particular week's thanks that Paul offers, this particular week where he offers thanks for this church. In chapter 1 he did it, in chapter 2 he's done it, now in chapter 3 he's going to do it again. He says, for what thanks we can render to God again for you. He says, we'll give all the thanks that we can for you. Why? It says, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. And what is he saying? He says, your joy and growth, your faith, brings us joy. And remember, Paul is in the middle of trial and problems and even imprisonment. He's been in jail. And even in Paul's affliction, okay, even in Paul's affliction, he just thinks about this church at Thessalonica and it excites him. And he's grateful. You imagine Paul, it would have been easy to be discouraged in a number of different ways. But he thinks about it and he prays to God. And he says, oh God, though I'm sitting in prison, though I may have been beaten, Remember it said that it, <clears throat> they were going to pick up stones uh, to stone and kill them. Though we have almost died, I am thankful that somewhere along the way, particularly in Thessalonica, you have blessed and worked in a group of people that love each other, that are built in faith, their work of faith, their labor of love, their patience of hope encourages us. They are anchored in your word. And then he goes on, he says, then their joy that they have. The joy wherewith then we have joy. Where does that come from? Look, if you would, in verse number one. And we're going to read through the chapter, and then we're going to go back and examine what exactly he means by the joy that they have together. Look at verse one. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Remember, they were driven out of Thessalonica. These men, Paul, Timothy, Silas, and another man named Jason, eventually that was driven out with them. And they end up in Athens. And Paul is just kind of bursting at the seams to get back to these people because he's so excited about the work that God is doing. Wouldn't it be great if people could say that of our church? That church is so exciting to be a part of. I just want to be there. I want to be in their presence. And it should be because we serve a God that is exciting. We serve a God that brings great joy. And finally, Paul says, you know, we're okay here by ourselves. And in verse 2, he says, we sent Timothy back to you to kind of help continue to guide and shepherd you. Then in verse number 3, it says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. He's saying that you not be moved by your affliction. We also suffer affliction. Verse 4, For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. He says, I was so excited, but I know that you're suffering. And this church was. They were going through trials and afflictions. Remember, they were facing it from both sides, from Jewish uh, people of Jewish faith and from the Greeks and from the Gentiles. And there were what we would call pagans there that were very, very ancient in their beliefs and in their God system. And 
how they were facing a lot of different things and they had made gods to politi- po- politics and their, they had made gods to their government system. They had made gods to uh, romance and sexual things. They had made God to pleasure. They had made gods to everything. And so they were suffering at the hands of some of these people. He says, we know that you're suffering and I just couldn't stand it anymore. I had to find out how you were doing, hoping that Satan had not tried you to the place that you had uh, moved or weakened in your faith. And what did he find? Look at verse 6. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity. Underline those words good tidings if you'd like to there in your Bible. We'll come back to that in a moment. Of your faith and charity and that you have good remembrance of us always desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Isn't it good when you find out that somebody enjoys seeing you? Uh, so Paul's like, it, it was good to find out that the feeling was mutual, that we wanted to see you and you really wanted to see us, but it was good tidings that your faith and your joy and your love had increased. And then look at verse 7. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our afflictions and distress by your faith. Our faith, whether you realize it or not, Your faith can be a comfort to someone that is in need. Your love and your life can soothe the problems and trials that life brings in someone else's life. And you never know who you're going to encourage. Think about it. They were encouraging Paul, the leader in a way of of the mission movement of the church of the first century. He was the one mainly responsible for helping oversee the spread of the gospel out of Israel into the Roman Empire, out through the Greek peninsula and all through even parts of Asia. That's who they were encouraging. You'd think it'd be the other way around, that Paul was encouraging these people, but here he is saying, they encourage, you never know who you might be encouraging when you follow Christ the way that you should. Shouldn't be our motivation, but it's a benefit. Look at verse 8. For now we live, and I love how he says this, now we live. He said, we can't be in Thessalonica with you. Our ministry there, for the most part, physically is done. But now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Let's pray and ask God to bless these few moments that we have in this particular chapter tonight. Lord, give us guidance and help. (coughs) Help us to be good students of your word. Help us to be (coughs) good listeners and good hearers and then good followers of you. Help us to be encouraged, as Paul was, when we look at this church and help us to find and see the things that we need in our own lives and the joy that we can bring to each other and to our world when we serve and we live for you. And we pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. I was thinking through, uh, you think about our, our modern um, society. Um, 
that you turn on the TV and there tends to be just different kinds of shows and different kinds of things. You got your sports and your news and your this and your that. But one thing that t- tends to draw people, it seems like, and, and I really am not, I don't like watching either one sometimes because I'm kind of like, yeah, give me just something that's real, you know, for the most part. But as you're, as you're watching, one, there's, there's two different kinds of shows, if you ever notice, that try, tend to draw people. Have you ever noticed there's extreme shows or extreme stories or something you may read about in the news of just awfulness? Like people treat each other. Have you ever seen one of these things where just there's people arguing and fighting these reality TV shows or whatever they may be? They're just arguing and screaming at each other and fighting. They could be mining in Alaska or building motorcycles or shopping at a mall, you know, cameras following around them. And they're just, just, just spewing poison at each other for the most part. And we as Americans love it, evidently, because they keep putting it on there. And it's kind of like, we like a train wreck, don't we? But then there's other shows that do pretty well that are the opposite, where people just seem to love being around each other. Uh, one of the, I, I read recently, now if you're a good husband and your wife wants to watch this show, you'll watch it with her, but um, the Fixer Upper show, um, you know, and, and, it, and it shows they buy these houses, they fix them up and they do these different things, but I, I read this article recently that talked about the ratings of that show and the different things, and higher polling in that show went toward not the houses that they rebuilt, but people polled higher that people loved watching this family love each other. At least on camera, it appears that they love each other. They have a joking, fun relationship. They love their children. They're nurturing towards their children. And people love to watch it. And sometimes you come across these people. And don't we just enjoy being around people that enjoy loving and being around each other? Uh, I'm privileged so far in my life to be a part of two different families. My in-laws and my whatever the opposite of in-laws is. My Outlaw, blood relationship. <laughs> I hadn't thought that through yet, but blood relationships. We like to be around each other. My wife has four different siblings. I have two brothers, and it's nuts when we get together, and it's fun. We love being around each other, and it's exciting. And, and, and we would always have friends come over and uh, different things, and Terrence would come over when we were growing up, and they liked being around us. And several different times they've just told us, and not to any credit or glory of our own, it's just something we've been... Blessed with people like to be around people that enjoy each other. People wouldn't want to come over if we were yelling and fighting and fussing and stuff all the time at each other. But here is something interesting that Paul's going to say, and it should be interesting for us. People like to be in churches that are like that too. People like to be in churches where the people love to be a part of each other. People love to be around people that love each other. And so... As we look at this church, it was healthy because they were literally for each other. They built each other up. There was not a competition between these people. It wasn't who can get scolded uh, the least or who can get scolded the most or who can do the much, most scolding. They just loved each other. They didn't take each other for granted. They worked together and longed to help and grow each other in their lives. And so if you would look there at, verse, at uh, number one there on your sheet. What made them healthy? Paul says, we have the joy because of your joy. This church was healthy because they worshiped God. They focused, like we talked about last week on God's Word, and they were for each other. This was a one another church. And you see it there, number one, they stand together. And you see that there in verse number nine, 
It said, or verse number eight, excuse me, for we now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. And remember, when Paul starts writing this whole chapter, and he's going back and forth in verse number six, he says, but now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings, he said, we were dying to know how you were doing. And here is what we found out. He said, we found good tidings of your faith and charity. I told you, underline that word good tidings because it's significant for our reason. The word there for good tidings is euangeliso. It's the word that we would kind of see it, what it looks like, evangelize. It means to bring good news. And here's something interesting about this. Paul used this word a lot in a lot of his different writings, different things. It's used through the New Testament all sorts of different times. This is the only time this word is used in the whole New Testament that it doesn't refer to preaching the gospel. And you say, well, what could that mean? How is that significant here? Paul said it was that good of news that this church had faith and love in their relationships. And they had faith and love and they were still anchored to it. He says, we were so joyful to hear about that good news. It was like hearing the gospel all over again. He used this as the same word. The only other time it's used. How good of news is it? How joyful is it? How wonderful is it when a church comes together in faith and love? Paul says it's so much so, it's like preaching the gospel. It is a light to the world. It is good news when a church is what they are supposed to be in the Lord. And in our community, we want to go out and we want to tell people about Christ and, and, that, and that's good, and we should do that. When we meet people out on the street, we should do that as much as we can. When we have relationships in our business life or whatever it may be, we want to give the gospel as much as we can. But Paul goes as far as to say here, your faith and love were gospel good news to myself and those around you because it was that much of a testimony to the world around you. Your faith and your love spoke so highly of Christ, it was like preaching the gospel. You see there in verse 7, it says that it was comforting. It says, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. Remember, he, he said in verses 3 and 4 and 5, he says, We know you're going to go through trial. We know you're going to go through affliction. But they held fast together in their faith. And there's a lot said in churches and about all sorts of different things about standing firm and standing strong. And we should but we should do it together. There's a lot of people and there's a lot of churches in this world where there's a lot of different people standing for a lot of different things. And everybody may have their priority and everybody may have their kind of soapbox that they're going to stand on. This is what I'm going to stand for. And I will stand with you if you stand on my box with me. You know, whatever it may be. And there are things that we should stand for, yes, but we should first Stand together. And that how, you say, how are we going to ever come together to stand in the same way on the same things? We're humans. We have all these different priorities and all these different things. When we find what we should stand on in the Word of God. When we stand on the Word of God, we will be standing together. When we stand on what Christ teaches, when we stand on His Spirit, when we stand on the love that He has asked us to have, when we do what He has commanded, when we follow what He has given, and when we stand for those things, then we will be standing together. And what Paul says, we were so encouraged by the fact that you were still together in these things. 
you hadn't split into a lot of different factions. And, well, we want to focus on this belief, or we want to focus on this belief. We want to focus on faith, or we want to focus on love. He said, no, you focused on both because they were both found in Christ and because you stood together. And I want to pause for just a moment. I had a, a little note there. It, it kind of goes with verse number eight. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. I can't help but think, you see the note there, that our pastor in heaven would send this same message to us. That even in heaven, he could take joy and comfort knowing that God's work continues if we stand fast in the Lord. Not relying on a person or a specific model or a method or a particular plan, though we need all those things. But he would send back if he could if we stand together on Jesus and his gospel. And it can carry on, and not that we live as a church to promote or to just carry on the legacy of one person. We live to promote and bring on Christ. But Paul here, this human being that was able to minister and pour his heart and life into these people in Thessalonica, he sends back, he says, our ministry lives on if you stand together with Christ. And our ministry as a church will always be able to stand on as long as we stand together in Christ. Look, if you would, and, and, and notice there it says, do you get excited about conversions and, and salvations? Does it bring joy to hear of growth in others in our church? Do you, do you have joy when others help you find places in your own life that need change and growth? And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But what makes you excited about being part of this church? And there's a lot of different reasons people go to different churches. And there's a lot of different things or reasons that people may transition from one church to another or this church or that church. And those things happen. And sometimes they're with good cause and good reason. But sometimes we, we chase excitement in here or there. But are you worthy of being excited about in this church? There are some people that bring excitement, that they're just enjoyable to be around, aren't there? I, I, I know that I am not always one of those people. And there are certain people that I can think in my mind that seem to always be that kind of person. But we should be striving together not just to come into a church and be thrilled and excited and, and driven by others. We should want to be exciting and drive others too. We should want to be a part of what, go, what is going on in God's church and in God's work. And it is not just come in and please me or feed me, though those things should happen. But we do these things together. That brings us to point number two. Not only do they stand together, but they grow together. Look at verse number nine, if you would. It says, For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly, that we may see your face and then notice this, and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. You can go on to the next one, to number two here in a second. We're going to put a couple verses on the board in a moment. But notice what he says there at the end of verse 10. What is lacking in your faith? So though he has prayed, and though he has said, you are doing great, it is exciting. We are thrilled by what is going on in your church. He doesn't mince words by saying, just keep on going exactly the way you are. He says, and we wish we could get there and even help you fix some more things that God wants to see done in your life. What did he know about this church? They could keep growing. They had not 
arrived. And he's not just saying growing numerically, he's saying growing spiritually. People have to grow before numbers ever grow. And though those things may work together, he says your growth spiritually is what we want, and that's what we see as important at the end, again, in verse 10, that we might perfect or complete that which is lacking. He says, as great of a church as you are, as much as you have grown as a young church, there is more to do. There is more in Christ that you should find. Why? Because the goal is not other churches, and the goal is not other Christians. The goal is Christ. And if the goal is always Christ, there is always more room to grow. Because if I look at so-and-so's life, um, let's see, uh, Brother Bill may look at me and he may think, wow, if, if, I, if James is that way, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> you know, I have arrived. I, I'm fine. I may look at somebody else. I may look at Mr. Aleph in the back, the politician back there, and I may say, well, if, if I'm comparing myself to Mr. Aleph, I'm doing just fine. I'm a pretty good Christian. But if I'm comparing myself to Christ, I have a long way to go. And the church should not compare ourselves to each other. We should compare ourselves to Christ. Because then I'm not going to look and find a fault in this person or in that person I'm going to find a person that needs help just like I do. And they're going to be able to help me, and I'm going to maybe be able to help them. And together, we can point each other to Christ. And notice what it says in verse 11. Now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. Why? Our direction is from Christ. He doesn't just say, we want to come and set you straight. It may sound like that at first. We want to come and fix all the stuff that's wrong with you. That's not it. He says, we want to come help find what's lacking in your faith. Why? Because God himself and Jesus is our direction and our path. Look at verse 12. And the Lord make you. Notice he says, we're not going to make you this. God is going to make you to increase and abound. Those are words about growth. If you have a business and you want to see profits increase, that is growth. If you have uh, 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 something that you're producing, you're, you're a farmer, you have crops, you want to see your crops abound. That is growth. It's production. And he says what you want in your life as a church is to grow and to produce. And he says, and you can do it best together. Why? Notice it says, Lord, make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. You grow together. It says, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. I want you to um, uh, look there. Let's flip over. I think we have it on, can put it on the board too, but look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 real quick. Everyone needs to grow. Flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writing to the very person that he sent to pastor this church. Even that young man that is going to pass to this church, he needs to grow. Look at verse, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look down at <coughs> verse number uh, 14. says, uh, verse 15, 13, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. Why? That thy profiting... Now, that's not money profit. That means progress. That your growth may appear to all. 
So he even writes to the very pastor of this church, and he says, keep growing. He's writing this well after. He writes to Timothy well after Timothy has already helped pastor in Thessalonica. And even to their pastor, he says, you need to grow too. And let others see you grow in your doctrine, in what Christ is doing in your life. Uh, Galatians 6.10 says, As you have opportunity, do good unto all men. If you got your uh, hand there, look at 2 Timothy chapter, uh, or excuse me, 2 Thessalonians. It says that in your notes. That's incorrect. Uh, where it says there, 2 Timothy. It says it means 2 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 1, verse number 3. Because we're going to see that Paul's prayer about this church was actually answered. And I think we have that on one of the next slides that we can put up there too. But Paul's, Paul's prayer about this church was answered. Remember he's praying, I pray that you grow. I pray you increase. I pray that you abound in your faith and your love and your charity. Okay, fast forward a little. He's going to write a second letter to the Thessalonians. Isn't it great to hear sometimes when something succeeds or when something actually does well? It's nice to hear, you know, this team did this, they kept getting better, and they won the championship. And then they didn't all fall apart. They went on, they did more, and they got better the next year. Or it's good to hear of a business that's passed down from family generation to family generation. It just continues to succeed or continues to do well. It's the same in a church. Look at uh, chapter 1, <coughs> verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet or needed, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other, remember this word, aboundeth. So he says, I'm grateful. He's writing this later. Remember, 1 Thessalonians 3 says, I pray that your faith and your love increase and abound. And he writes later and says, I am grateful that your faith and your love have increased and abounded, because it's possible. Because we're humans and we're sinners, it sometimes feels impossible to grow together and to work together in this way. But Paul gives us this prayer and Paul shows us an example of a church that did just that. And when we stop comparing ourselves to others and we look towards Christ, we realize we can all grow together in Him. Look at the last thing there, number three. And this may seem ultra simple. They'd like to be together. <laughs> number one, they stood together. Number two, they grew together. And number three, they just liked to be with each other. Amen. I won't put all these here, but just look at chapter 2, verse 8, and we'll run through some of these. Chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel only, but also our dear souls, because you were dear unto us. Chapter 2, verse 17, But we, brethren, being taken from you a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Look at verse 19, same chapter. For what is our hope or joy of crown rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Look over chapter 3 at uh, verse number 1. He says, uh, we, we didn't want to be left alone in Athens anymore. We wanted to hear a report of you. In verse number 6, he says, we were, it was so good to hear that we, we desired greatly to see you and you desired to see us. And then you see it in verse number 10 and verse number 11. We love to be around each other is what he said. And what is the truth that we need to take from that as we finish out this evening? The mission and the purpose of the church does not end until the coming of Christ. And until then, he has given us each other. Notice this phrase, people make up the church. And that may sound ultra simple. But the church is people. 
It's not a building. It's not a place. It's not a system. It's not a conglomeration of works and methods. People make up the church. In a healthy church, people love people. People serve people. People talk to people. People work with people. People must be with other people. You cannot be a church if you're not around each other. Not just maybe in a service, but around each other even outside of those things. They were with each other. Because you can't encourage each other. Now in our cyber days, you could live your whole life and be social and, and never actually speak to another human being. That's not the way that God created us. And it's not what he, how He intended us to live. He has given us people to help people. And that should be humbling. God has put you on this earth to help someone. And here's a real key and kicker. God has put someone on this earth to help you. And sometimes that's the hard part to get and understand, isn't it? I'm willing to go help some other people sometimes. But I don't know about letting people help me. Because I need to be vulnerable for that to happen. I have to confess a sin. I have to say, hey, I'm struggling with this issue. I'm struggling with this doubt. I'm struggling with this problem. Could you help me? Or I have to be willing to listen to somebody else when they come to me and say, hey, we've noticed this issue in your life. We've noticed this attitude toward other people. We've noticed you treat this person in this way. Let's work on that together. Let's open God's word together and learn and grow. And sometimes it's harder to let somebody help you than it is for you to help others. Notice, how long do we do this? How long does a church take part in, in this kind of life? Standing together, growing together, being and living together. How long are we supposed to do that? Verse number 13 answers in three words. To the end. <laughs> he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We do it until He comes again. We don't do it until we get frustrated. And we don't do it until we think it doesn't work. And we don't live with some person and we're not around this church member until they frustrate us enough and then we just befriend this other person or whatever it may be. Together, as a body of Christ, as Christians, we stand together. We grow together. We enjoy being with each other because God has put us here for a reason.